You're listening to Comedy Central. From Miami, the town that puts the ass in assisted living. It's The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Democlips 2018. It's the closest we could get to Mar-a-Lago. Ears edition. show coming to you from Miami, Florida. Oh, this is amazing. Take a seat, everybody. Take a seat. Take a seat. You guys are amazing. Our guest tonight, baseball legend and co-owner of the Miami Marlins, Derek Jeter is here, everybody. We're going to be chatting to him later on. But first, can I just say that I'm loving everything about this city. It is my first time here spending time, and I'm loving everything about, like, every day is a party in Miami. Like, every day. It doesn't matter where you go. I went to a church service the other day, and they didn't have a choir, they had a DJ. It was the dopest thing, I was like, do unto others, 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 Jesus died for your sins. We're praying until six in the morning. I'm glad we prayed. And I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, feel like, I feel like everybody out here is excited about the midterms. You guys excited? Yeah? You can feel that energy. You know, uh, you know who else is uh, really excited? Donald Trump. Oh, wow. Wow. You guys sound like a room full of Melanias. Wow. Well, anyway, just, just like you, uh, President Trump knows that the midterms are only seven days away. And so to motivate his voters, right, he's, he's doing something really special. Well, it's the thing that he does best. He's scaring the shit out of his voters, right? <laughs> Specifically by using brown people. Right? It's sort of like Halloween, but a racist Halloween, you know, or as Megyn Kelly calls it, Halloween. And, uh, and so every day, Trump's number one focus has been the caravan. Right, and I don't know if you've seen this, and if you don't know, the caravan is basically a group of a few thousand people who are walking to the United States from impoverished and crime-ridden countries like Honduras and Guatemala, and they're walking to the U.S. partly as a protest and partly to apply for asylum and a better life. And, and it's, it's a tough journey. They've got no food, they've got no water, there's nowhere to bathe. It's basically like Burning Man, except the people aren't pretending to be poor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's, it's a group of people who are saying to America, hey, we're in trouble. Can you help us? And Trump has responded with this. The U.S. military said today it's sending more than 5,000 active duty troops to the Mexican border to deal with a caravan of Central Americans who intend to seek asylum here. Those 5,200 troops actually outnumbering the roughly 4,000 migrants making up that caravan and nearly equaling the number of U.S. personnel fighting ISIS in Iraq. Really? Trump is sending the same amount of troops to deal with asylum seekers as he sent to fight ISIS? Like, that has got to be so weird for the troops. I mean, like, one guy talking to another is like, I'm headed to Iraq to stop a violent death cult from destroying civilization. Where are you going? It's like, oh, I'm going to try to convince a baby to crawl south. Yeah, <laughs> just switch around. 
And you know what's even worse? Is that Trump is sending more troops than there are migrants, right? So the troops can basically play man-on-man -man defense, you know? He's like, okay, you get Juan, I'll get Jose. I'll take the old lady. Come on, come on, abuela. Come on, abuela. Come on, come on. Ah, she got through my legs. God damn it, abuela. How are you gonna send more? And now, and now, just, just so we're on the same page, these people aren't illegal anything, right? They're planning to apply for asylum once they get to the US border, right? It's not like they're just gonna rush across the border like a giant game of Red Rover. That's not what's gonna happen. Although that would be super dope. Can we admit that that would be super dope? Yeah. Like, in fact, instead of having a border wall, Americans just have the troops holding hands at the border, right? And then the immigrants run, and then if they break through, you get citizenship. I think that's a fair game. I'm watching that show. I don't know about you, but I'm watching that show. This summer on NBC, it's Red Rover Citizenship Edition. Because I'm sorry, this is just ridiculous. Instead of sending 5,000 troops to the border, why not send 5,000 judges and lawyers to help with the asylum process? Why send the troops? Anything would make more sense than sending 5,000 troops. I like, it would even make more sense if Trump was just like, you know what, America's just gonna turn off the lights and pretend no one is home. That would even make more sense. Just like, shh, everyone be quiet. Although you know Trump would mess that up. Everyone would be quiet and they'd be like, we're not here. <laughs> Mike Pence told me to say we're not here. And now, I, I think the reason Donald Trump is sending troops to these asylum seekers instead of help is because in his mind, this is an invasion. And when I say in his mind, what I mean is on Fox News. Thousands upon thousands of migrants literally marching to the U.S. in what would be a mass invasion in order to demand entry. This migrant caravan, it's not a caravan, it's an invasion. Here is a mob of humanity driving towards the U.S. southern border. This looks a lot like an invasion. It's an actual invasion. An invasion. Thousands and thousands of people on the bridge. When you looked at that bridge loaded up with people, that's called an invasion of our country. Really? An invasion? Get the f out of here, man. An invasion? Let me ask you this, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What kind of invaders apply to come in and give the enemy three months warning? Yeah, what kind of invasion is that? Like, I missed the history class where Paul Revere was like, the British are coming! But not until like April, okay? King George just wanted me to tell you guys in advance because he knows you guys are like super busy, okay? And like, here's my problem. Here's my problem. Here's my problem with all the fear-mongering. My big problem with the fear-mongering about this caravan is that Trump and his friends, they don't even seem to know what they're afraid of. And they're coming in with diseases such as smallpox and leprosy and TB that are gonna infect our people in the United States. The overwhelming majority are young men in their 20s. They're strapping, they're strong. We got HIV, measles, pertussis, rubella, rabies, hepatitis A, influenza, TB, shingulosis, syphilis. When you look at that caravan and you look of largely, very, you know, big percentage of men, young, strong, a lot of bad people. That's right. These migrants are both super strong and riddled with disease. These are the strongest lepers I've ever seen. Just coming across the border. The jacked arms falling off in the streets. 
make up your mind. And honestly, honestly, if I were the migrants, I would be worried about catching one of America's weird diseases. You seen the shit people have in this country? If I was a migrant, I'd be like, hey man, I want a better life, but I don't know about America. I don't want to catch a gluten intolerance, man. You hear they have irritable bowel syndrome up there, man? I had a cousin who went there two months later, he had restless leg syndrome. You can't cure that shit. And now, And now I know, I know some of you right now are asking me, you're going, Trevor, why do you even bother with Fox News? You know who they are. They're always bringing, they're bringing xenophobia, they're bringing racism, and that's true. That is true. But here's the thing, I assume that some of them are good people. <laughs> because even though this network might seem like one giant caravan of dangerous extremists, I believe there are people in there who mean well. The migrants, according to Fox News reporting, are more than two months away, if any of them actually come here. But tomorrow is one week before the midterm election, which is what all of this is about. There is no invasion. No one's coming to get you. There's nothing at all to worry about. We're in America. We can handle it. Now that's a guy who deserves asylum. We'll be right back. The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the CEO and co-owner of the Miami Marlins and founder of the Players Tribune and the Turn 2 Foundation. Please welcome five-time World Series champion and former New York Yankees captain, Derek Jeter! Wow. Wow, that's, nev that's, never, that's never happened to me. I need to, I need to roll. I need to roll with you. Like, people start chanting my name because you're, like, that's never happened to me. We, we may actually consider signing you to play for the Marlins. Just, just to come just, in. Just with the fan love and the support <laughs> you give me. Can you play a position? I, I am the worst person in baseball. Like, wherever the ball won't go, that's where you want to put me. That's where you want me. But um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, let's, let's, let's get into it. Um, I remember when I first came to the, United, to the United States. I moved to New York, and Derek Jeter was a name that was synonymous with everything amazing. I mean, you were crushing it. You're a legend in baseball. You know, people still look at you and go, like, the greatest shortstop of all time. And you've taken on a different journey in your life right now because now you are behind a team. It's a little bit frustrating when when you know what you can do, and then like you watch the team sometimes, and you, you just want to go out there, like is it hard for you to, ch to change your mind into being a CEO? Yeah, you know it is, it is <clears throat> kind of difficult, because you know, as a player, you are, you know, it's instant gratification or failure, right? You either succeed or you don't, you get a hit or you don't, you win or you lose, and then you go on to the next game. But when you're in an ownership front office role, uh, you have to have patience which I am learning I have none. So it's very difficult at times to watch because you want things to happen you know, 
very quickly. But right. it, you know, it's, it, look, it takes times to time to to build a championship caliber team and and to build a first class organization. We will get there, but it does take a little bit of time. It's also. I, what I found particularly interesting is how quickly the media seemed to enjoy the what they termed downfall of Derek Jeter. I, re- I remember reading a headline that specifically said, Derek Jeter fails at something finally. <laughs> and I was like, it was weird that they said finally as if they had been waiting for you. But like, you've been in a position where for a long time you were the golden boy, like nothing went wrong in your world. Has it been different for you to be on the, the, on the receiving end of criticism? Has that, has that shaped how you see the world? Or is, has everything that you've done beforehand prepared you for this moment? Well, first of all, l- listen, I've failed quite a bit in my career. So, uh, you know, one thing you learn, especially playing in New York, you have to deal with criticism. And criticism doesn't bother me. It motivates me. And, uh, you know, what people I think needed to understand as we were taking over an organization that had not been successful, have not been in the postseason since 2003. And in my mind, that makes it broken. So we need to fix it. Um, so the, I look at it as a, it's a challenge, but more importantly, it's an opportunity that I'm looking forward to. It's an opportunity. And it's an opportunity that you, you've grabbed with both hands because what you've done is you, you've started shaping the team. You know, you, you've, you've gotten two new prospects. Um, is it Victor Victor Mesa and then Victor Mesa Mesa Victor? I don't know how that works. I feel Something like it's the like same that, person yeah. twice, which is very slick of you. And we got three victors for the price of two, so we're good to go. <laughs> but but you, you're bringing in some amazing prospects. You are reshaping the team. But there's other things that you're doing that feel like they're, they're changing the dynamic of, of what the Marlins represent. For instance, uh, you know, I, I read that you're changing what the in-game experience is. And something even more interesting is you've encouraged everybody on the team, including yourself, to start learning Spanish. Why? Well, I think, thank you. I, I think, you know, when you have players, Hispanic players that are coming to the United States, everyone automatically assumes that they speak English. And, you know, that's not always the case. You know, you're taking players out of their country, you're bringing them to the United States, you're throwing them in a new culture, a new environment, and you expect them to speak your language. Now, if they took well, we're in Miami, so most people speak Spanish, but if you took most Americans and you threw them in a, an Hispanic country and you expect them to speak Spanish, they would struggle a little bit. Right. And people are judging them. And I don't necessarily think that's fair. So we're making sure that our educational program with the organization is, is first class. We're, we're making sure that all of our Hispanic-speaking uh, or uh, Spanish-speaking players speak English, but more importantly, we want our American players to learn how to speak Spanish, and we're also doing that in the front office. The, um, the team, and um, baseball is just part of what you do. You're involved in multiple programs that are related to sport, but not, you know, sport itself. You have... Um, an organization that you started that you know turned into a website that really has become a platform for many players, many sports people to speak out and I guess share their, themselves with an audience without anyone in the middle. No middleman, no, no press, no anybody. And one of the more interesting articles that came out of this, 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 this collective was um, Kevin Love, who shared his, you know, his battles with anxiety and depression. It was a powerful movement that, that changed how a lot of people saw sports people in general. Why was that so important to you, and what do you think the long-term goal of this project is? Well, I started the Players' Tribune. This is right after I retired in 2014. It sounds strange to say 2004 years already. 
I'm getting old. You are, my friend. It's yeah. showing. It's showing everywhere well, on, your, yeah. on your face. You look 25. Well, a, a, lot, a lot of you people are getting old, too. I can see some <laughs> of you out there as well. But we started this, uh, the Players' Tribune because we felt as though, look, athletes are human. There's a human side, and, and we're trying to humanize them. Athletes have interests, things that they, that they want to share with the fan base. But I think you know, anyone that says that the trust factor between the media and athletes, if, if you say this, that, that's not broken, then, then you're not being honest. And it's amazing what people will actually share if they trust who they're speaking to. So we've developed that trust uh, you know, with the athletes, and, and we have some amazing stories. And people you know, feel free, and they trust us, and they talk about things that they normally wouldn't speak to with the media, and therefore it you know, brings the fans closer to them. You, you have a lot of players in this day and age, not just in baseball, who are speaking out about their political affiliations, political uh, beliefs as well. Um, as we can see, the NFL has struggled with this. You know, many owners not knowing how to deal with it. You have Colin Kaepernick, who's been effectively blackballed. You have conversations where people are like, well, sports people should just shut up and dribble. And then people like LeBron James coming out and saying, no, I'm, I'm a human being and I have opinions. You have been on both sides as both a team owner and a player. How do you think you work to balance the, the relationship between what people want sport to be, which is devoid of all politics, and also still giving your, 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 your athletes a voice? Yeah, well, I think when you're an athlete, you have a platform, obviously, and, and it's what you do with that platform, which, which actually is, you know, everyone talks about your legacy on the field, on the court, but I always felt as though it's more important to have a legacy off of the field or off of the court. And athletes, look, they have a very, yeah, that, athletes, they, they have an opportunity um, to actually be role models for kids and, and get out and speak their minds. And, and one thing I, we've always done, I have a foundation that I started over 22 years ago, and we try to teach our, our young students that, listen, your voices are powerful. And, and learn to, to go, get out, speak your mind, and, and be very comfortable doing that. So when you become an adult, you're comfortable doing it in front of a bigger audience. So our, our foundation, we've, we're trying to make sure that our, our young people re reach their full potential you know, by promoting leadership development, academic excellence, um, <clears throat> healthy lifestyles, and social change. And right, and you, your organization has been really successful. I, I, I found this out recently. It's called the Turn Two Foundation, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've raised over $20 million that you've awarded to these kids to get into schools, to get into scholarships, to get into programs that move them forward. And, and of all the kids you've mentored, you have a 100% graduation rate. It's a, we, we have. You know, you know, I, I come from a family where if you have a little, you give a little. If you have a lot, give a lot. So philanthropy has always been very, very important to me and my family growing up. And at the same time, it it's, will be very, very important to the Miami Marlin organization moving forward because we have a platform here in Miami and uh, we should be able to give back and affect you know, as many lives as we possibly can here. I love Miami. I've been here for... Only a year now, at times it seems like I've been here for about 20 years, but I've only been here for a year. I love the diversity, I love the culture, I love the energy, and uh, we're gonna be here for a long time. Derek Cheetah, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. 
follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.